We are you like invested in him not being a schlub? Because that's a that's those are some junk bonds. <laughs> no, I'm not. I have you need zero, to sell short on his dignity. I have zero interest in Adam financial Sandler. advice. No, but. Like- <laughs> Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi. Today we're going to be talking about Operation Broken Feather. Hooray! So this was the post-Super Bowl episode. It followed the New Girl episode featuring Prince. Yeah. The New Girl episode was one where Nick and Jess told each other they loved each other. I watched that episode. I enjoyed it, which trapped me into watching the New Girl more than I wanted to. Yeah, honestly, New Girl is so... I like New Girl, but it sometimes feels so inconsistent that I just can't bring myself to like it. It's got some probs, some problems, yeah. some problematics. Mostly that Winston is well underused and should be way overused, and it's terrible. Also that Schmidt is an irredeemable racist. Oh my god, let's not, I really would have done so much different with Schmidt. Like, oh god, I can't... But in this episode... But in this episode, we still have problems. Yeah, this episode was the post-Super Bowl episode, and it doesn't seem like the showrunners knew they were going to be doing a post-Super Bowl episode... Before. Until like three weeks before. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, our it seems like it got fewer drafts or something. Yeah, we we've definitely so full disclosure. This is our second time recording this episode. Some of this conversation is definitely well trod area for us. But long and the short of it is, Carl and I kind of agree that it seems like this episode was put together in a very rushed way. Some of the plots seem to have been like considered for some time. Mostly the Jake and Amy plotline for this episode. But the B plot is a hot mess. And most of the jokes they go for are the easiest jokes, retreads of jokes they made earlier in the season. It's like a third pilot. That's too many pilots. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And we know why, obviously. This is to bring in the audience that hasn't been watching the show. And it did get 15 million viewers. Yeah. But that didn't really translate, so. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame because Carl and I have talked about this before and we said like you know honestly i kind of wish the bet had been this post super bowl episode i know why it couldn't have been but i kind of wish it had hmm maybe because if nothing else they'd clearly been playing the bet for five ever yeah and so yeah yeah i'm glad they didn't get all the friggin' celebrity cameos and football jokes slammed into it though yeah, there was a lot of there were a lot of pieces of this episode that made it feel like it was sort of a jumbled Lego architect episode. Hmm. Like there, there's like Duplos mixed in with the Legos and like some off-brand Legos thrown in there. Duplos, wow. Anyway, <laughs> taking it so, back. <laughs> the a plot of this episode is that Amy and Jake are investigating a series of thefts that have been happening at a hotel, hotel or yeah. something. Um, I think somebody's been breaking into rooms and stealing jewelry. Yeah. Uh, during an auction while Amy is considering a job offer from Major Crimes. Mm-hmm. And Jake is unhappy about this, but for lots of different reasons, which we'll talk about it in depth. The B-plot is a tortured monstrosity. <laughs> the B-plot is that Holt needs the squad to put in all of their reports and everything in, in time for Comstat to be able to be compiled. Uh, unfortunately, due to a number of distracting factors in the office, this is not happening at a pace that Holt is happy with. So Holt and Terry decide to try some statistical analysis slash human experimentation. <laughs> and they am play God. They am go too far. 
They they definitely take it too far. And Terry is consistently calling out Holtz on this, but Holtz like, fuck this, I'm forward. You know what? Honestly, given our last episode of conversation, Holtz and Terry are the Jake and Charles of this episode. We didn't do that conversation, though. No, no. But oh, like, that conversation. Yeah, yeah, about how Jake's doing some crazy nonsense. And Charles... Terry's like, are you sure, sir? <laughs> yes. Terry's letting Holt be primary on this and calling him out on his crazy. And then being like, I'm going to be over there while you're doing this. Which, we'll, we'll come back to that. The B-plot is a mess. Like, we, clearly less planned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Weird, weird jokes. And there's only really one thing we want to talk about in there, so we'll get to that later. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with the B-plot, aside from the rushed feeling, is that there's almost too much of the cast involved with it. Like, normally we top out at, um... Well, in Ebony Falcon, we had six people getting spotlight. But even with the Ebony Falcon, it would be it would be six people getting the spotlight, but it would be, like, three pairs at any given time. I think it was two trios. Mostly. But sometimes there were three pairs. Anyway. Regard- yeah. This is like a pair and then everyone, everyone else. else. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This, yeah, the, and, and the pairs having to be that way because, well, ship watch. But also because their plotline has all the celebrities. So it doesn't really work. Like, the, the strongest part of this episode is that football scene at the beginning. <laughs> the football scene at the beginning works really well. Yeah, it's a great ensemble piece. Like, we see some Jake and Terry stuff. Amy's like a tight end. Like, it's great. The, you're the only one who's noticed that, though. I'm um, just, I know, <laughs> I'm sorry. We grew, we grew up in football country. Yeah, but I didn't pay that much attention. I, I've seen this episode too many times. Either way, Terry gets a great line. I choose to dance every time. Mm-hmm. Like... Terry Crews gets to sort of be himself. It's kind of great. The ensemble opening is awesome. Yeah. But, like, we see, like, Gina cheering on the sidelines. It's actually really cute. But then, like, I think there's just too many people involved in the second part. Like, it really is, like, five people and then two people. Yeah. Yeah? And while there's bright spots, the statistical analysis, it's so beautiful. His response to Moneyball. There's just not enough enough there to keep it going. So we're not going to really... The way we're going to talk about this is we're going to get through all the things we liked about the B-plot first. We're not going to focus on the negative for once. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to basically just do a full shipwatch episode with the Jake and Amy stuff. Because we've got some really complex feelings about that. And we'd like to share them with you guys. You've covered most of the things we liked about the B-plot pretty compactly. It's mostly that line about... Uh, statistical analysis and Moneyball. Mm-hmm. The other big thing that's not actually very well done here, but is of constant interest to us, is the fact that uh, Gina and Boyle are all over each other in this episode. Boyle, Gina, ship watch. Oh God, we're never gonna do that again. Yeah. So no, but like they do, they do seem to be like teasing and kind of in each other's business in this episode. I don't know. Like, I mean, in this episode. Gina tells herself in the mirror that she's sexy, and Boyle thinks he that she's talking to him and says right back at you. Yeah. In this episode, Boyle calls Gina sexy. Yeah. Well, and Gina's, like, teasing him about his weird fashion choices. Uh, what like, was it? nonstop. She called him... Uh, a Huxtable? Uh, but it was more... It's the Eastern European... Cosby sweater? Uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah, Dr. yeah. Dr. Huxtable, Dr. Huxtable. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor, oh man, I loved that show. Yeah, my dad owns nothing but Cosby sweaters. I don't, I can't tell if it was like on purpose or an accident because my dad really likes Bill Cosby and he really likes sweaters. Well, my dad used to live up here in the eighties, so mm-hmm. I think they just only sold Cosby sweaters in the eighties. <laughs> I can't, I can't figure it out. 
Um, actually, there's one other redeeming part of this episode. Yeah. Which is, hang on, I have a surprise for you, Carl. I really do. Mystery. Carl, I brought you this map. Yes. So in this episode, Terry has that big map, right? Yeah. And as you can see from the papers that I'm handing you <laughs> that people can't see on this podcast, the... I I'm- accept these papers. <laughs> Is it possible we're overplaying this? No. Well, they can't see us. This is a fucking audio podcast. Shut up. What it is? Don't make me play the play the donkey noise. No, you don't have it. (laughs) So Terry has a big board with like all the stickers. Mm -hmm. Well, I I one day sat and paused the show and copied the map. There's so much detail here. These little bubbles are ridiculous. The best, like, first of all, we get to see the, like, there's, like, three detectives whose desks we see and, like, nameplates we see, mm-hmm. but I think, I think Detective Cook might be your tall, bald Asian guy detective. Swoon. Because <laughs> the other one doesn't make any sense. Maybe. Um, but there's also one extra desk, so, yeah. And then there's, like, detective, there's detective, I think, Casey Cook, and then there's another one. Brown, Detective Brown, that's the other one. As you can see there. And then, like, Terry, there's, like, great little flags, like, the McGinley situation resolved. <laughs> like, we had theorized. He had so much- Wait, maybe he did have something to do with that. Maybe he got him forced into early retirement. Possible. We- oh, man, that's... <laughs> that's so That's stuff. such an evolution. We we had talked earlier, before I even, had even done this, we had talked earlier about how, like, Terry was clearly the only reason that squad was functioning. Yeah. And I think this map is sort of proof positive of that. Uh-huh. And, like, we hadn't... we. I want to be clear. I did not write down the map before we had recorded that episode. So I was like, we were just as theorizing about that as anyone else. But when I wrote, when I finally sat down and sketched out the map, I was like, holy shit, I think we were right. Which makes me wonder if this show has a show Bible. Because there have been too many good details like that from the quote unquote before times, like pre-pilot, that have like carried through nicely that way without like it being super obvious or overt. Are there shows that run without show Bibles? Uh, House was a rather notable example. They were like, fuck this show Bible nonsense, and we all know how that turned out. Was there something about show Bibles in... Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking of something else entirely. The Office was the, one of the shows no, that... No, I, I was thinking of um, the uh, King Killer Chronicles TV show. Uh, there was a tweet about the show Bible being finished recently. Mm. So. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I just remember that uh, when when Mike Schur and Dan Gore were working on The Office, uh, Greg Daniels was pretty open about the fact that they had a show Bible that they were very adamant about keeping consistent because of the... I mean, the inherent nature of the show is that you have to stick to the show Bible. It's a mockumentary, right? People's right. lives are consistent. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Greg Daniels is probably who Detective Daniels was named after. Hey, but then he's gone. Oh, she's gone. Oh yeah, you're right. The third person is gone. Well, I so is Greg Daniels. He's not involved yeah, in the show. Yeah, the third person is gone. Oh, <laughs> uh, did we did we just unravel some of the mysteries you're of welcome. the universe? Hey, hey, high five sound. <laughs> we didn't need that. They could hear that. Well, just if they need explication. All right. Well, anyway, this office map is really cool. My plan is to digitize it for the fans. Our show. Our podcast? Our, our fan shows? <laughs> we should give you guys a nickname. All like 17 of you. Fieldsters? There's more than 17. Backers? There's at least 40. Backfields? Fieldbacks? Indies? <laughs> Let's not call them Indies. Let's have a vote. Fielders? Fieldbacks. Fieldsters. Kind of like fielders, although that's a real thing. But then again, a lot of them are... A lot of words are real. <laughs> 
A lot of my podcast sensibilities come from the Yo! Is This Racist podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which Lakshmi Sundaram was on recently. Yeah. And she was handling their asks, right? For Yo! Is This Racist? Yeah, for like a week? Isn't that yeah, how that's, that how, that's how guests work yeah, on yeah, yeah. Yo! Is This Racist. Yeah, which is awesome. It's a great show. Uh, they're... They have a nickname for their uh, listeners, which vacillated for a while between race cars and <laughs> you people. <laughs> you people? Oh, no. You people lost, but... <laughs> kind of like it, though. It, yeah, but it's like, it's too I'm, a, I'm a you people. Oh, no. It doesn't really work. No, it doesn't work. I'm a race car. Race car is better. I kind of like fielders for our 40 listeners. Or, or backies. Backers. Or bits back in this. Bits. Well, it's B I T F. Uh, write in with suggestions or. Yeah, send us an ask with suggestions for nicknames for our audience, guys. We love you. Mwah. All right. Winner gets a special title. Winner. We don't know how we decide a winner. Winner gets to guest on the podcast. Uh, okay. If that's your jam. If not, we'll find you an alternative prize. Some people just aren't into this. We'll work out the details. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to digitize the map and put it out for our, our listeners and the Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan community overall. Mm-hmm. I did that for the tweets, by the way. That, like, cool. TCA yeah. 14. I hope people liked that. It seems to have gotten some rounds, some sharings. Some um, digital media response calls. Yeah, which is pretty great. God, I wish this show, since this is a short episode, I'm going to digress a little bit. I wish this show would, I we know that the TCA panel had a stenographer. There's a transcript of that interview somewhere. I wish they would, like, put up the, more of the interviews or, like, the transcripts. All we have, all we have for most of these, for the interviews that this cast is doing are, like, occasional tweets from journalists and, like, All the articles are the same. It's really frustrating as a fan because, like, I remember The Office had, like, all these interviews that we could watch and, like, were taped and, like, put up. They had a Paley Center interview. And it's hard because, like, a lot of times I don't get into a comedy until they're three seasons in. And so, like, there's a little more, like, momentum there. But, like, I really wish that this team would put up more of their, like, interviews and stuff. Like, or do a... I mean, I hate to be like this guy, but, like, do a better job on your social and, like, tell us more about what these what's happening here. Because, like, as a fan, it's kind of frustrating. I would love to, like, listen in and hear some of the great questions that people ask and, like, hear more from the back end and the production side. But, like, we don't get that chance, you know? I don't know. It's frustrating. I, yes. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. they, I know I've been saying this a lot, but I really hope they do a Paley Center interview next month. Because, like... That would be perfect. Hopefully in New York, too. Anyway, so my complaining aside, we are just going to stop talking about the B-plot now. Yeah. Yeah. The B-plot has its share of problems. Most of the celebrity guests. Joe Theismann is basically, he's got no stage presence, no screen presence, and no good jokes. I mean, the same could literally be said of Ant... Uh, Andy Samberg. Adam Sandler? What is wrong with me? He's less worst. Like, he has some, like, energy, at least. Not much, because he literally showed up in whatever he had in his, like, laundry bin, but... (laughs) Me and some of the people on Tumblr were talking about how, like, Adam Sandler dresses so poorly every time he shows up somewhere. Yeah. It's the worst. God. Like, I get that, fine. Own your, like, crappy dressing thing, but, like... I mean, what else does he have going for him, though? Besides being a giant schlub. God, it's the worst. The reason I care is because uh, 
I think um, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to talk about this. I don't care. Okay. I just don't care. I, it annoys me just from pure like, my God, man, you're in front of people. Like, don't don't be that guy. Anyway, he always will. He will never stop being that. He's enough. He's enough clout at this point. It doesn't matter. So. Yeah. So, yeah, the celebrity guests are definitely, like, the weakest point of this episode. There's some, there's some, I think, like, Jake pretending to be a guy who won a radio contest to run the auction is actually great. It's pretty funny. It's hilarious. It was made in the year five. (laughs) (laughs) And he, like, manhandles, like, that vase. And, like, you, the best part is the small detail of that extra. Just, like, you see him, like. like, no. (laughs) He's, like, flipping out. That's like That's worth more than five dollars, asshole. <laughs> yes. He's like, let's start the bidding at ten dollars and everyone's like, Oh, I started way too low. <laughs> There's that him him on stage is great, and then when he tackles what's his face, he like just throws the mic off to the yeah, side. He's like, fuck this mic. <laughs> We've had nothing but problems. <laughs> Well, what's great is there's a there's a small consistency detail, which if you listen, because I've watched this episode a lot, you can hear the mic squeak. Nice. Like, you can hear it, like, feedback before clearly the audio guy's like, whoop, <laughs> and, like, brought it all He's down. Like, no <laughs> sliders. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there's a lot of great details centered around Jake and stuff, but the celeb guests are the worst. Not the worst. Jeff Eisen so has, like, four lines, and none of them are funny. I guess he's some football guy who broke a leg and now both his legs are broken, which his career is equally ended. He wasn't doing anything with his other leg. Uh, Gawker would agree with you. Gawker was specking out that, like, Joe Thyssen would just continue to appear and be useless in things. Like, they weren't I, even referencing this show. They were just referencing Joe Thyssen in general. This happens a lot. Apparently. Man, Joe Thyssen, don't come on our podcast. <laughs> Not like you would ever, anyway. He shows up on things, randomly. <laughs> not this. To no value. This is not the... I guess we couldn't pay him. I was also about to say, like, we 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 have marginally more value to the to this audience and to the show than Joe Theismann does. Yeah. Um, Let's get to the actual meat of this episode. Yeah, we... So, okay. We were talking one day about... At lunch, I think. Yeah, it was at lunch. We were, ta- we were like, walking around and we were talking about... The Jake and Amy sort of ship arc in this show, and specifically like their arc following the bet and and how it plays out. And one of the things we talked about was that scene that Jake and Amy have in this episode of the dumpster, where she says to him, "Why does it matter so much to you if that like I'm going?" And he's like, "It's the, they're the worst. Major Crimes is the worst. The Vulture's the worst." And she's like, "So if it was any other team or any other squad or whatever, it wouldn't matter." And he's like, "No, nah, do what you want." And we had talked about this a little bit about how I really felt that in that scene she was pushing for something. She was pushing for an answer, and we ended up kind of backtracking from there and then pushing back forward. And let's start with the bet. So at the end of the bet, right? They've had this great sort of undate that kind of went in a direction that I don't think either of them really expected. They each acknowledge internally or externally that it's a much better first date than they are used to. Yeah. And then Amy learns at the end of that episode from Holt that Jake had the opportunity to sort of take it back to the sort of original plan he'd had. The original embarrass her and have a bad time plan. Exactly. But then it ended up, he ended up not, you know taking that opportunity. He ended up going with the direction it was in. So the status quo there is that 
Amy knows that Jake would rather have a nice time with her than embarrass her. At least in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. They had they had a date that went well. Mm-hmm. And we think that she was waiting to see what was going to happen next. Yeah. And I think, like, Amy has shown that she sort of plays to traditional femininity in certain specific ways. And one of those is, like, she lets the guy kind of take initiative. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she was sort of waiting for Jake to sort of be like, hey, let's go out again. Or something. Anything, right? yeah. Define how things were going to be. Yeah. Kind of lead the way on this. But then, like... But Jake's a, Jake's a dunce. And Jake's not ready for that at this point either. Jake hasn't acknowledged his feelings for her. Yeah. Charles sort of bluntly pointed it out, and Jake's still kind of working through that. And he doesn't seem... To, I don't think he really figures it out fully until about Tactical Village. Yeah. Yeah. But then, like, weeks go by, because we know that there's, like, time skips between the bet and Ebony Falcon and and the, the Super Bowl episode. So we know that there's times passed, and so not... Nothing's happened. Hell, and Ebony Falcon, Jake and Amy don't even interact. Yeah. Which is a nice contrast to fran- fancy bride- Bridegum. Bridegum. Yeah, where the plots don't touch, but Jake and Amy still interact. Yeah, Jake and Amy, in the second half of the season, Jake starts going to Amy for advice all the time. Yeah. And a little bit vice versa. Like, they start actually relying on each other when not on cases together. Right, but that still happens after this episode. Yeah. And it's... And it's, so it seemed to me like Amy was pushing. And so we think maybe Amy was pushing Jake in that scene because he hadn't done anything. And this was an opportunity. I mean, so let's back up to the beginning of this episode. Yeah. The beginning of this episode, they were together. They beat the vulture. Mm-hmm. This flashes back to the vulture, which is their first real tender moment before mm-hmm. this. Um, which is where they, like, realized how much they like succeeding at cases together. Mm-hmm. Right? We've, we've said before that competition brings out simultaneously the worst and the best in them. Yeah. And com- competing with each other exacerbates that. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, Jake gets the picture of them having beaten the vulture framed. Yeah. And hangs it up next to their desk. Yeah. That is definitely a romantic gesture. Yeah. Even if Jake didn't mean it that way, it's definitely being read that way. And it's an expensive gesture. Yeah. For somebody who's in crushing debt. Yeah. Or just in general, that's like a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's like a lot to do for just sort of a one-off. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more than his, like, you know, toy police cars. It's a lot more than... Which is his normal decorating style. <laughs> or or Algernon in his dress drawer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a big, like, extra piece of effort for Jake to go through. And it's a specific Jake and Amy thing. Like, nobody else is in that picture, even though other people were involved with that. Yeah. So then we get to this situation where... Jake is demonstrating really loudly that he needs her to stay around. Yeah. And she, they're in this dumpster together. He's pushing her to stay. She pushes back and gives him this huge opening. This massive window. To say, I want you to stay. Not because I hate, like, the people you'd be working for, but because I want to have you around. Yeah, there's... We we mentioned in probably our original version of this that, like, there's a difference between no, don't go, and I want you to stay. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge difference. And he, up to then, has been making it all about her and how she'd be committing an act of betrayal and how she's not going to do this because it's not the kind of cop she is and a bunch of things that are wrong and untrue. Yeah. And none of it is about his feelings. But... Jake completely fumbles this. Yeah, Jake is Jake is short-sighted to say the least. 
Well, he's, he doesn't talk about his emotions. He's uncomfortable with feelings. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we've, we've talked about how, like, after the bet, their power dynamic shifts. Mm-hmm. And this is and Amy's ability to push back here without... I think other times when she'd pushed back, it was with a cruel edge to it, like in the tagger. Yeah, but this is her pushing back by opening up. Yeah, and this is a difference. And I think, like, one of the reasons that she's able to do that is because we've talked about their power dynamic and how, like, it's pretty clear by the show, in without being, like, overt, that Amy is clearly sort of the new girl on the block. Mm-hmm. And because we don't see her in any of the one-year-back flashbacks before uh, her setting the bet with Jake, with any of the McGinley flashbacks. Yeah. But then... um you know, Jake's been there eight years, and he's, like, a, like he's their best cop. Like, he's their best detective. Sarge straight up says that to Holt in the pilot. And Amy's partnered with him, mm-hmm. you know? And she's competitive, and that's got to be hard for her to deal with on some level. And then, you know, he, the power dynamic is very much shifted in his favor. You know, he's been there a long time. He's the precinct's best detective, whatever. But then, like... She gets the sense that he wants something from her. Whether it's her approval or her romantic interest or... Just her presence. Yeah. That puts the power dynamic in her favor. Because for all the things that he has sort of weighed on his side, if he wants something from her, like, they're kind of more equal now. And as much as I'm certain that she in no way took this job just to prove to herself that people want her to stay, like, this would... Like, she was entertaining the idea of this job because it's a good career step. And it is. Major Crimes is an elite squad. Yeah. They're, uh, they, it's by invitation only, basically. Yeah. Um, the reason she decides to stay eventually is also legit. Yeah. Like, going into the data side of that is a potential to be sidelined. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it's more difficult for a woman to keep developing cred by taking a death job. Yeah. It also... it. I think Jake's point about her, like, enjoying field work. Yeah, but we need to go deeper than than what Jake says there, right? She does enjoy field work, but she also gets a material... Uh, well, not a material, but a, a, um, a real uh, resource out of continuing to do field work well. Yeah. That establishes that she can't be sidelined as, like, a lady detective. You're right. She she gets a lot more opportunity for recognition. I think yeah. is a good way of putting that. Like consistently being one of the top detectives in a precinct instead of being like stuck away in like a safe desk job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there is there is something we said about being like going from being a big fish in a small pond to being in to being a big fish in a very big pond with a bunch of other pond, big fish. Mm. Like that's. It, it's the classic college problem when you're really yeah. good in high school and then you go to college with all the people who are like you and then suddenly you feel horribly inadequate. I mean, I don't think that this is a case of her worrying about imposter syndrome. No, no, no. Rather that it's harder to be a standout when everyone else is standing sure. out. Especially when the thing that you're doing is a non-flashy thing. Yeah, exactly. And we've talked about that before with respect to Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there, there's there's a lot of their power dynamic there that sort of gets not resolved, but equalized and makes their it's why them going to each other for advice later on works is because they see each other's equals the other thing about that though is the answer amy gets from jake in this episode is not his long-term correct answer 
what she does is she says, if you want to tell me that you're romantically interested in me, it's now. Yeah. And then he doesn't. Yeah. And then he's like, you're a really good detective and this job is better when I'm doing it with you. Right. You're a, you're the partner I need. Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. What's going on is that he respects me as a partner. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. Like, that's... That might be better for her here than actually having him romantically interested because it doesn't have any problems attached to it. Yeah, exactly. I I like that reading of it. I also like that, like, you know, it it speaks to something that we've talked about before with Amy, which is that her greatest weakness is her inability to read people. And I think on some level she's aware of that. Mm -hmm. That Jake is much better at not, like, putting together Sean Spencer-y clues, but, like... Well, kind of, though. Yeah. At intuiting what people are about in the background. Yeah, exactly. And I think she knows that that's kind of a weak spot for her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't She doesn't have the, the social ease that he has. Exactly. And I think so, being like, oh, well, I thought it was that he was romantically interested in me, but I guess it's just that, you know, he it respects definitely would, me. definitely wouldn't be the first time I've misread something. Exactly. And so she's like... And this is, like, fresh off of that bit with Gina where Gina's, like, you know, not able to communicate mm-hmm. well about her own feels. And so she's like, all right, fine. Just sort of goes with it. And it works. And that's why from here on, the way we see them getting closer is constantly consulting with each other about mm-hmm. the cases that they're not sharing. Mm-hmm. They're getting more and more close as partners. Mm-hmm. Not as romantic potential. Right. Until Jake figures out what the fuck was wrong with him. Right. But then the window's closed. Right. Yeah. Um, For now. For now. And I mean, like, I think that's great, because it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, you can, I think you could very easily read that, like, Amy's openness to something romantic with Jake there. I think you can really read that there. There's certain things, like, he he does the collar touch, right? Yeah. Which is, like... Also, in the scene where they're in, when she tells him that she's considering this job... Mm-hmm. That's a scene with a ton of callbacks to 48 Hours. Yeah. Because their previous big ship... One of the other... The big shipping episodes are The Vulture, 48 Hours, The Bet, uh, no, uh, Broken Feather, and then, like, the the last four episodes or whatever. Yeah. Um, And even those are just sort of, like, quieter. It's pretty unquiet. Yeah, okay. Um, when a man was... It, that, that's when you go into active pining mode and that changes the whole show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, in that scene, they're sitting there eating lunch, watching video footage. Yeah. That's exactly where they were when they were, like, flirting hardest in 48 hours. Yeah. And it's when she's like, okay, this is something I have to tell you because you're the second most important person to me in the precinct. Yeah, because she'd already told Holt, but no one else. No one's more important to her than Holt. No. And, but Jake is second. Yeah. Like... That's pretty telling. Yeah. And she wants his approval. Like, mm-hmm. everything about how that is, how that's right, she's like, I have something to tell you. And, like, up until, like, that point, he's clearly been sort of, like, needling her a little bit. Like, I do appreciate a throw of her. He's like, no, really? And it's just like, it's it's cute and fun and easy yeah you know and he does the collar touch and that's like very intimate gesture yeah and it's like i could see why she's reading romance into this without him uh consciously sending those signals thank you yes but then and like she plays into that a little bit some of her body language and some of her you know word choices there are kind of have a stronger romantic subtext Mm -hmm. but ultimately she's being vulnerable in that scene and she says, you know, I really have something to tell you. They've been sitting in that room for, like, hours. Yeah. And so she finally is like, okay, I need to tell you this. 
And then his response is not, please stay. It's, don't leave. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Exactly. You know what else is going on here? If he's romantically interested in her, it's better for her to be in a different department. It's better for her to be on a different squad. Oh, 100%. And, like, if that's the reason he wants her to stay, then her response is, let's date, I'm taking that job. (laughs) Or it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, Jake can deal. (laughs) Because, like, this way there's absolutely no chance he'll be accused of fraternization. Yeah. But instead, it's, I'm staying... This partnership is going to be more valuable because now you're a resource to me. Yeah. Rather than a hindrance. Yeah. A potential pitfall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of to to bring it all back, she pushes, he plays it cool, and it's like the worst way of playing it cool where he's like, do whatever you want. It's not cool at all. No, no. He's trying to play it cool and he's just failing. Yeah. And he's acting like a sulky teenager. and, And you see there's like a hint of disappointment in her expression before he finds the receipt. Or the jacket, or whatever. And even after that, I think you can just see her settling into this new reality. Yeah. Where, okay, he doesn't like me. Right. That's fine, I'm recalibrating. Right, she takes it at face value, and then he says... Let's deal whatever, with whatever the fuck is going on in his head right now. Right, and then when he calls her the cheetah, like, it's just this, like, kind of pained expression. Like, oh, we can't even be friends now? Jerk. Right, exactly. But then at the end, like, you see her listening, and it's just, like, this, like great just like moment where it's like there's a lot of feelings on her face and he's saying he's saying you know this job doesn't all isn't always great in fact sometimes it sucks but it sucks a little bit less when i get to do with you and i know that like she wasn't ready for this at the time and she never will actually but i kind of i was so ready for a for a title of your sex tape joke (laughs) right there there are a lot of moments with Amy where I'm like, why one of you should have gone for the text, sex tape joke there? And I know you're not at that point yet, but one day you will be and I will be I my I, I mean they're be... they're there in Tactical Village. Or Charges and Specs? They're there in Charges and Specs. Yeah. She she calls out the sex tape joke before he can make it. Mm-hmm. And then he turns it back around on himself. Something he probably wouldn't have done any earlier. Oh yeah. But then there are definitely moments with Amy and Teddy where I'm like, one of those is sex tape joke. Multiple lines of this dialogue are sex tape jokes. And Jake's he, Jake's not picking it up. He he doesn't want to think about their sex tapes. You're right, actually. He doesn't make sex tape jokes with anyone else but Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, so that was kind of like we we the long and the short of it is we sort of we were watching this episode and we realized like this is this is the moment where Amy closes the window on that for them and and Jake and thinks it's Jake closing the window yeah. when Jake has no idea what's happening. No. Jake is fumbling around in the dark. Dumb asshole. <laughs> uh, is this the return of Jake is the worst? Nah. I'm I'm going to keep asking <laughs> every episode. I mean, Jake's pretty awful to her this episode. He really is. He calls her the cheetah and he's got that really cruel expression on his face. Yeah, and he says that the jewel thief is his only friend now. <laughs> worst. Like, he's using the most playground tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you want to do this thing? Like, we're not friends anymore. Ugh. I'm he's, going over here with my new friend who's a jewel thief. He's definitely taking his ball and going home. Yeah. One more thing. This is also much like in um, Ebony Falcon, where I think Holt is really the major touch point for both plot lines. Holt appears in both, but doesn't bridge the two. Really. Yeah. Yeah. The closest we come to bridging the two is Jake being like, Scully, get out of my chair. Yeah. I think that the two plots touch here. 
Like More than they do in Ebony Falcon, sure. He comes back, he instigates the breakdown of the plan. Mm-hmm. So there's much more overlap. Yeah, fair enough. And Holt is like, get back out there and stop being a shithead. I loved so much about Holt being like, you realize you're being the bad partner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you really are. And he's I'm like, fuck. And then... I just love that, which is riddled with spelling errors, by the way. There's no way there's four M's in recommendation. I have no idea where he put the other, like, two. <laughs> Me either. There there's, never been, there's never been three M's in anything <laughs> in a row, right? Like, and there's nowhere else to put an M in recommendation. No. And then I just love her, like, teasing back at the end there. It's like, but thanks for thinking I'm great. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> you said I was smart. Like, fun, like uh, what did she say? No, um... It was something, and you were nice. You were nice. <laughs> um, I just love her, like, intonation there. It's so sweet. And she's relaxing into a close friendship. Yeah, into the new mode that she's that ready. That she thinks that they, that he's placed them in. Right, exactly. I, I love that scene. I love seeing her relax into her new incorrect understanding. <laughs> because that's his incorrect understanding. Yeah, and will be for a little bit longer. Yeah. But not long enough. <laughs> But he makes the best pining face. I'm glad that they moved into that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was our Jay Gave Me Ship Watch episode. High five, Carl. Double high five sound. <laughs> oh, my God, Carl. <laughs> From all of us here at Back in the Field, my name is Arthi. My name is Carl. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.